presented by our Patreon supporters. I'm Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer, joined by Meg Rowley of Fancrafts. Hello, Meg. Hello. You know, for the second consecutive regular-length season, I'm afraid that a royal is going to come from behind and steal a home run title from one of my (laughs) angels. Looks like it's going to happen again. Jorge Soler came from behind to take the title from Mike Trout in 2019, which prevented Trout from crossing off another column on the Black Ink bingo card. And now Sal Perez of the Royals is just one home run behind Shohei Otani for the Major League and American League lead. So don't want to root against Sal because who doesn't love Sal? But he has closed the gap, as have some other guys. Shohei has not been hitting like his old self lately. No, he has not. And Salvi has found a new life. Much of it at the expense of the Mariners. (laughs) Seemingly was hitting a a home run every at-bat he had against the Mariners in a series they had not too long ago. But yeah, like good, you know, it's just like good for Salvi. Yeah. It's it's always surprising to me when catchers can sustain that kind of power over the course of a season or come on late, you know, Mm because it's so... I know we have talked about it before, and I know that we do talk about it, and, and saying we don't talk about this enough is almost always like, I think people are, and you just haven't been paying attention. <laughs> but I still think we could spend more time collectively talking about the wear and tear that being a catcher puts on one's body and just like yeah. the beating that those guys take on a on a daily basis. So I'm I'm always like pleasantly surprised and impressed when guys either have a sustained power over the course of the season or come on late when presumably their knees just feel like they're full of lava. So it's exciting. Good for him. Mm-hmm. Like way to go. Way to go, Salvi. Yeah, I mentioned my theory at some point that the time off may have helped him, both the enforced time off from Tommy John surgery and then the short 2020 season, because he's just someone who never wants to be out of the lineup if he's healthy and if there is a game. And so I wonder whether that breather kind of helped him a little bit, give him sort of a second wind in his career and also help him not break down over the course of the season right. or at least get tired because he did used to be a guy who really would hit better in the first half than yes. the second half. And this year, at least, it's been the opposite. He has totally turned it on as the season has gone on. And he is up to 138 games played, 569 plate appearances. That's already the second most plate appearances he's had in any single season. He hasn't had that many since 2014, his all-time high at 606. So barring some sort of injury, he will pass that this year. And he has blown by his previous single season high in home runs up to 42 now. He's never had more than 27 in a single season. And this is his best real (laughs) offensive season, not counting 2020 when he was even better. But 
this year he has done it over a, a longer period. And, you know, he's still sort of the same hitter that he was in a way. I mean, he has not gotten a whole lot more selective. He is walking 4% of the time and striking out 25% of the time. But that will work when you have a 272 isolated power and 42 dingers. That's fine. So last year, he didn't walk at all. He walked like 2% of the time, but he strangely had a 375 BABIF. That part was not so sustainable for Salvador Perez. But he has made up for it this year with just this titanic power. And some of the home runs that he has hit, like the one he hit the other day that was like on a 99-mile-per-hour fastball like off the outside corner, and he's just like flicked it the other way over yeah, the man. fence. It's like, okay, <laughs> didn't know you could do that or yep. that that many players could do that, but he is doing that. And he is such a, a strange player, sort of a, a polarizing player in a statistical sense, just because he has a reputation as a really good defensive catcher. He's won gold gloves and yet the advanced defensive stats would say that he is not a good defensive catcher, that he is maybe one of the worst. Yeah. In fact, I think he has the worst defensive run save total among catchers this year. He has the worst framing runs total among catchers this year. So he is a catcher who really benefits from the old school stats, throwing out runners and that sort of thing, blocking balls much more so than stealing strikes for his pitchers. So that really eats into his war values, at least like if you look at Fancrafts or Baseball Prospectus yeah. compared to, say, Baseball Reference, right. which does not include framing. There's a pretty big gap there, both this season and career-wise. But when you hit 42 home runs as a catcher, <laughs> that makes up for a lot of lost strikes. So it makes me wonder if the the new approach, the brave like way forward in terms of uh, managing catchers at the major league level, which is a, a position that is just largely bereft of talent. There are like the guys who are really good and then there's just like a sea of suck, you know, a soupy, <laughs> a soupy sea of suck after that. You know, I wonder if given Perez's great season and also Buster Posey's, if this just means that we need to do like a one-on, one-off kind of approach for yeah, them, exactly. right? We need to we need to discern whatever the the bare minimum is for you to stay fresh and engaged with the game, and and then we should like stagger contracts to do uh, mm-hmm. one year of play where you're you're assuming a full load, and then you know a sabbatical year where you could get like really into wine or cubism <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, take a gap year, yeah, packing in Europe or something, yeah, yeah go have some experiences, learn about other places and people and come back with fresh knees and a a good Mm -hmm. bat and just like light the world on fire because these two guys have both seemed to benefit quite a bit from having um, sustained rest. And it's like, like I said at the beginning, not surprising given just like how we talk so much about how dangerous it is to be a pitcher and how no one should do it because it's bad for you. It just shreds your body. But we, I, I, I'm going to say it again. We just don't spend enough time like really worrying about catchers and what it's mm-hmm. like for them back there. Yeah, he's chasing Johnny Bench's record for most home runs in a single season by a catcher, 45 in 1970. Only Bench and I think Javi Lopez, who had 43 in 2003, are ahead of him now. So that's pretty impressive. I mean, easier to do that maybe in 2021 with the ball the way it's been, even if it's a little deader than the last few years. But still pretty impressive. And yeah, I mean, he's no Ted Simmons. (laughs) I was just looking at Ted Simmons' stats. He had incredible offensive stats and also durability just because he just got inducted into the Hall of Fame this weekend along with Marvin 
Miller and Derek Jeter and Larry Walker. And Ted Simmons had eight seasons where he played 150 games or more, which is unbelievable for a catcher. And like he was a a really good hitter in all of those years, too. So very much a deserving Hall of Famer who is underappreciated when he first appeared on the ballot. So not in that category, but he he is kind of an Iron Man. He's not quite Simmons. He's not quite Yadi Molina. But he's up there and yeah, he has made it work. And also just such a strange offensive profile. I was just running a stat head query for most career home runs by a player who has more homers than walks. And Salvi is like way up at the top of that list. He has 194 career homers, 157 career walks. And really, there's only one guy close, also active, Jonathan Scope, who has 160 career homers. He has 157 walks, so that could go either way. If he (laughs) walks a few times, he will cross over into the more walks than homers club. But really, after those two guys, it's a pretty steep decline to Todd Green, the former catcher who had 71 homers, and then Bill Schroeder, 61, and then there's no one else with more than 30. Williams Astadio, who has 15 homers and 10 walks, he is seventh on the all-time list of career homers by someone who has more homers than walks. So for Perez to do that, I mean, it's pretty impressive to have that kind of power with zero patience or willingness to take walks, really, because usually if you have good power, then pitchers are going to be hesitant to pitch you in the strike zone. And if you take some pitches, then you'll draw some walks and he just refuses to do it. But it's working for him and it's been fun to watch. It's because he's so eager to hit a home run. He has no patience for walking. He only wants to run around the bases or trundle might be a better uh, (laughs) way to describe it at this point. But he doesn't, he's he's not here to walk. He's here to chew gum and hit home runs. He's a Mm -hmm. lot of gum. I don't know. There's a lot of gum in dugouts, so that seems unlikely, but it hasn't stopped the home runs. He put on a show at the Home Run Derby, which we talked about at the time because it was whatever channel it was. ESPN was like interviewing Pete Alonso the whole time that Al Perez was cranking homers, but that's okay. He has seized the spotlight for himself in the (laughs) second half by just doing it in games seemingly day after day. So I'm only sorry that it could come at the expense of a home run crown for Shohei Otani, of course, but... I think with Otani, it's hard for me to diagnose his ills lately, and this is all in a relative sense. Of course, he could probably like make it out every plate appearance for the rest of the season, and it would still exceed a lot of people's expectations for him coming into this year. But I would prefer for him to finish strong. And he just hasn't. It's weird. It's like, I don't know whether to say it's fatigue. It would be understandable if it were fatigue. But he's been pitching so well that I don't know if that is the sole explanation. It seems like he's just been a bit screwed up mechanically, just watching him just about every day as I do. He has not seemed to be staying back. He's been kind of pulling off all of the cliches that you say a better hitter who is struggling. He's been pulling the ball a lot more often than he did earlier in the year. Like he has one of the biggest second half increases in pull percentage compared to first half. And I don't want to get into conspiracy theorizing about the home run derby screwing up his swing or something, because who knows, you know, his uh, first round opponent in the derby, Juan Soto, if anything, the home run derby fixed his swing. He had been hitting too many grounders and he's been a monster in the second half. So I don't know whether that has anything to do with it, but it could be a a case by case thing. He has not hit an opposite field home run since July 2nd. 
He has not even hit a straightaway home run since August 11th. So even when he has managed to hit one lately, it's just been pulling, 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 pulling. And that can work. Like I think Sal Paris has been pulling a lot too, and it's been fine for him. But it's not quite the Otani that we saw in the first half where often his most impressive plate appearances or the most impressive results would be when he hit a ball the other way a zillion miles and he just hasn't done that a lot lately and you know he's been often like the only good hitter in that lineup at times because Trout has not been back even Walsh missed some time Rendon has been out and so maybe they've been pitching around him a bit and, and he's you know struggled with that but I don't know. It does seem just uh, maybe being a bit biased or, or anecdotal, but there have been a lot of calls that have gone against him too. I don't know whether it's disproportionate or not, but I'd like to see him finish strong. And if there is a fatigue effect there this week, the Angels have been in San Diego, so he has not been playing. He pinch hit the other day, and then he actually got a game off for the first time in quite a while. And Friday, I believe he is scheduled to start as a pitcher against the Astros. So hopefully this will be a bit of a breather and he can finish on a tear. That would be nice. I was going to say that teams wouldn't need to advance Otani. They could just read you writing about him. But, you know, the Angels aren't going to the playoffs. So the amount of time they need to do that advance work is short anyway. Oh, no. Plus, if I figured out how to get Otani out, I don't know that I would publicize that information. (laughs) What an interesting conflict that would be for you, Ben. It's like you found a solution. Your job as a writer (laughs) and an analyst is to find answers and then share them with people. But you're so invested. You're in too deep. The sunk cost is so high. (laughs) I mean, the good news is that I think that it would take... It would take an act of God, really, at this point to to get him off the pedestal for MVP. So you could share the secrets. It won't it won't mm-hmm. get in the way. He'll probably be fine. I think it's going to be okay. Yeah, I've been thinking about should I write a What's Ailing Otani piece, but I figured maybe I'll just wait for the end of the season and do a, a full breakdown of the whole thing. And if he does finish slow, then I can talk about why that happened. But <sighs> the nice thing is, if he's slumping offensively, he has still been a really good starting pitcher, which yeah. is not something that you can say about most hitters who are slumping. That's the thing with Otani. It's like he'll hurt himself as a pitcher and he can't pitch. Oh, that's okay. He can still be a really good hitter. Or if things aren't going so well in the batter's box, well, he's been the best pitcher on the team too. So he can contribute in many ways. And, you know, just watching him from afar, it doesn't seem like it's gotten him down. I'm sure it's been a bit frustrating, but he's still smiling and laughing and joking around in the dugout all the time. So I hope he'll get things together. And it's not like he's been horrendous. He just hasn't been the otherworldly two-way superstar that we saw earlier in the season. Maybe it's that you're not loving him hard enough, Ben. Oh, no. Is it my fault? (laughs) Maybe it all comes down to you. Haven't brought him up on the podcast as much lately, which is because he hasn't been performing at the same level. But I don't know. Correlation, causation. (laughs) Anyway. It's all so complicated. Yeah. So hopefully I'll have reasons to bring him up for for good reasons. But, you know, I was hoping he'd get that 50-25 season, 50 homers, 25 steals, and looking pretty good for the steals right now. He's got 23. He stole home the other day, although it was on a delayed double steal. But, yeah, it's going to be a a struggle to get those seven homers over the remaining games. But let's hope. Fingers crossed. Anyway, I also wanted to mention that the Rays have a new prospect who has been called up. We don't have to do a full meet a major leaguer right now, but Josh Lowe 
is the latest Ray to be summoned to the majors. And I said this to you on Gchat the other day, but I'm so relieved that the Rays only have two lows or lows <laughs> instead of three because <laughs> we came close to that, right? Because Josh Lowe is actually the younger brother of Nathaniel Lowe, yes. former Ray and current Ranger. And so we could have ended up in a situation where you had Josh Lowe and Nathaniel Lowe and Brandon Lau on the same team. And initially the struggle was with trying to remember whether it was Brandon Lau or Lowe or Nathaniel Lowe or Lau. And then eventually I got that straight. Three Lowe's slash Lau's on a single team. That would have been tough. At this point, now that I know it's Brandon Lau, it's actually a little easier that he has that unusual pronunciation because it helps me differentiate between them. Right. But Josh Lowe is a, a very promising prospect too. I think he was 40th on Eric's board on the list of top prospects in baseball before he was called up and second on the raise behind Vidal Bruhan. And, you know, he does everything well, too. I think he had 24 steals in 24 attempts before he was called up, and he has hit well, too. And so he just made his Major League debut. But he and his older brother, they were both drafted by the Rays in 2016 in the same draft. And Josh Lowe, who was a high school player, he was taken in the first round with the 13th overall pick, and his older brother Nathaniel was a college player, so he was taken in the 13th round, so he was not as promising a, a prospect or player, but he got to the big leagues sooner. Anyway, there have been many cases where there have been three players with the same surname on the same team at the same time, but it can be confusing. As far as I know, there's only been one case of four, unless there was one in recent years that I'm overlooking. I believe the 1994 Orioles, who had four Smiths on their roster. I guess if you would have guessed what the surname would be, it, it would probably be Smith. But they had Dwight Smith, Lee Smith, Lonnie Smith, and Mark Smith all on the team in that same season. So that must have been a hassle. But a far more likely hassle, one would think. I mean, yes. there's just so many Smiths out there. There's a yeah. plethora, a bushel, a peck mm -hmm. of Smiths. So one would, would be less surprised, though the concentration, I guess, is kind of remarkable given how it doesn't happen all the time. I do yeah. love that Baseball Reference has updated their pronunciation guide for Lau to be like, rhymes with now, just <laughs> as a way of making it clear, but that Lowe has has no pronunciation yeah. guide so far. No, that's probably because he was just called up. But um, be rough. You got to get on it because there are going to be people who are so confused. Yeah. Nathaniel Lowe does have <laughs> just Lowe, right. L-O-O-W, which right. is, that's the standard. That's yeah. the default. Yeah. <laughs> if you're low, you have to explain yourself. Yeah. <laughs> if you're low, yeah, we will assume you're low unless told otherwise. Yeah, of course you're low. It's 2021. <laughs> it's a hard time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They could have fit them all on the team, I guess, at the same time, because Nathaniel Lowe is a first baseman primarily, and then Brandon Lau is a second baseman primarily, and Josh Lowe is a, an outfielder, right fielder, I think, although Nathaniel Lowe plays some outfield too. So in theory, they could have squeezed them all into the same lineup right. in the same field at the same time, but fortunately, they don't. I mean, not fortunately for the Lowe's, I, I guess they probably would have enjoyed being brothers on the same team together but for us so that we can just say lower lao and now you know which one we mean i wonder we've maybe talked about this before because obviously there are a number of baseball brothers um who are up in the majors at the same time but i i really do wonder like 
Would your preference be to be on the same team with your relative? I mean, it's going to depend a lot on the relationship. But even if you have a good relationship with your sibling, they're still your sibling. I know mm-hmm. that this is less familiar to you um, yes. as an only child. But like, I, you know, my sister and I are very dear friends. But there were times when we were young people where we would just like beat the crap out of each other. And we, we you know, loved each other very much. But we did the thing that siblings do. And so I, I wonder, it's like if you've if you're having a really stressful day at work, are you happy your brother is there? Because then you right. have someone to sit with you in the locker room who you know loves you unequivocally, or are you just, you know, devastated that they're there because you know that in addition to thinking about like the runs you gave up as a pitcher, that they're also thinking about the time they, they like beat you up as a, a little kid and they have mm-hmm. that they have that holster. I don't know. It would be a yeah. tricky thing. Yeah. No, I've thought about that also in terms of like sons playing for fathers, which I'm sure is great and special in some ways. But also there must be times when like you wish that your dad weren't in the clubhouse, right? I mean, thinking about like Cal Ripken Jr. and Billy Ripken playing for Cal Ripken Sr. or like Moises Alou playing for Felipe Alou. I believe he holds the all-time record for like longevity of, of playing for one's father because Moises played for Felipe in Montreal and also in San Francisco later. So he played for his dad a lot. And I'm sure that's great in a lot of ways, you know, just make those memories and can share things with your father that are in a professional context as well as a personal context. But like also if you're a professional ball player in your 20s and your 30s and maybe you're cutting loose a little and maybe you don't want to be on your best behavior at all times. And I don't know what their relationships with their fathers were like. And maybe if you grow up around clubhouses all the time and you're in a baseball family, like things are a little looser. Than they would otherwise be But still like you know I wouldn't want my dad to be my boss Probably <laughs> So yeah. it's, it's, I mean it's not uncommon Obviously no. a lot of kids like go into the family business And yep. everything and that can be nice In some ways and it can be awkward in some ways I'm sure Well and it's you know it's one of those things where you uh, You're not just worried about or, or sort of worried might be too strong But sort of aware of the relationship That you have with the person you're related to You're also aware of other people observing that relationship yeah. Um, oh, yeah. and, and wondering what the implications of that relationship are For uh, their relationship with you And their relationship with your boss and mm-hmm. and so it does seem like a, a thing to be navigated at the very least which doesn't mean that it can't be navigated successfully but it would require some doing and maybe you just don't want to think about that at work I don't know it's nice to yeah. have a thing on it's also nice to have a thing on your own you know it's like your thing so that when you come to Thanksgiving and you're being asked what your job is it's your job and nobody mm-hmm. else can t- can kind of talk about it but you but also it's nice to share things with people you you love and are close right. to so I imagine it just depends, but it would it would be a thing to navigate. Yeah, because you must feel like people are looking at you like, oh, he's the teacher's pet, right? He's the manager's son. I mean, if you're Moises Alou, like obviously you can back it up and he's a great player and no one's suggesting that he's just in the lineup because his dad is filling out the lineup card. But still, like you must worry a little bit about favoritism and especially from the other side as the manager. And I know that Felipe Alou was asked about that and he had a good quote about that. He said, I remember that everyone here in the clubhouse is someone's son, which is a a nice way to think about it. Easier said than done, I guess. But that's probably how you should approach it if you are in that 
context. So yeah. Yeah, agreed. All right. So we wanted to do a fun little exercise, sort of a draft today. And the way I described this idea I'm to really you, worried. <laughs> I, ha- I I don't know if I've executed on your concept. I'm very okay. concerned. <laughs> right. Well, this is how I laid it out, that we would draft some guys who have had some pretty good years. Yeah. <laughs> so just guys who are having pretty good years, who we haven't talked about much, or maybe we haven't even realized that they were having pretty good years. Not MVP-type years, not like garnering lots of headlines-type years, but just years where, where you sort of leaderboard and you see them where they are, you think, huh. He's having a pretty good year. Yeah. <laughs> and that's basically the concept. And it could be someone who doesn't usually have a good year, who you're just surprised to see that high on a leaderboard. Or it could be some post-hype sleeper who you didn't realize finally made good. I mean, there could be all kinds of reasons why you're sort of surprised. And this would obviously be subjective because if you're a, a fan of the team that player plays for, then you were probably well aware that they're having a pretty good year. But we're trying to pay attention to everyone on every team all the time and some guys sort of slipped through the cracks so this was kind of a a way to recognize some of the players who have slipped through the cracks on the podcast at least I, i don't know like if we could somehow keep track of every player who gets mentioned on the podcast over the course of a season like what percentage of players would be mentioned not necessarily like a segment or we lead off the episode by talking about how well they're playing or whether they are having regular bowel movements or whatever but just like (laughs) oh you brought it up again for no reason (laughs) is their name even mentioned on the podcast and like that's part of the reason why we do the meter major leaguer segments. I was just going to say. Yeah, like there are a lot of guys who just don't get mentioned, but those are often not prominent players who maybe even aren't having a good year. Right. <laughs> They're just very obscure. But like, I don't know if you set a cutoff of like three war or, or two war or something, it's just like an average year or maybe like four wars, maybe like a all-star type season. Like what percentage of players do we cover at some point? And In the past, at the end of the year, we've done an episode or two where we just kind of go team by team and talk about something that we missed with that season. And readers will submit storylines or seasons Mm -hmm. or just weird, wacky things that happen that we didn't touch on in the podcast. And obviously, a lot of our listeners don't listen to every single episode of Effectively Wild for shame, but they may not know if we have mentioned a a certain player at some point. But that was the idea, basically, because, you know, just like as I'm looking at leaderboards, occasionally I will see someone who I just did not know was having a good year or didn't know was having that good a year. And I figured we could single some of those guys out. See, I I felt confident that I understood the exercise. And then one of the guys I put on my list was literally Salvador Perez, who we just (laughs) talked about for like 10 minutes. So, yeah, we'll see. We hadn't really before that. So, I I just gave away a pick. (laughs) Well, I can still pick him, can't I? Can't I? Sure. (laughs) I don't know, man. But that would be a good example because. I mean, he's probably come up at some point this year. We talked about the home run derby a little bit, but we hadn't dwelt on him at any length. No dwelling. He deserves to be dwelt on. Yeah. yeah. All right. I don't know. Do you want to go first? Should I just take Salvador first (laughs) pick? I don't know. You can take him. Yeah. I mean, I guess we don't have much more to say about him. No. (laughs) I don't want to. You go first. I want to calibrate because there are two things that are going to happen here. One of two. We have one of two paths ahead of 
us, or at least ahead of me. So I, I did a little prep for this, obviously, because you can't just sit there on the leaderboard and be like, oh, that guy, although, I mean, I might. So I did some prep, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, I have my list. I have a prep list here. And so we're going to do one of two things. You're going to say your first pick, and I'm going to feel really good about my list. Or you're going to say your first pick, and I'm going to have to go off board. <laughs> and we'll see which we get. Okay. So you go yeah, first. <laughs> I, I think probably the level of fame and, and name awareness of our players will vary from pick to pick. Sure. Like some of my picks, like they're fairly prominent players, but yeah. just had sort of escaped my notice or, right. or we just haven't talked, talked about, about them for them. whatever reason. Right. So some people will be like, yeah, of course that guy's having a good yeah. year. And others will be like, I've never heard of that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully we'll find the happy medium here. I, I don't think I picked any all-stars. I kind of forget who was an all-star and who wasn't yeah, already. I don't, but... I don't. That's not, I'm not a reliable um, yeah. <laughs> n- memory bank for that. Sorry. Okay. Well, my first pick is is kind of a cheat, actually, because it's more of a position than a single player. It's like a group of guys who have collectively played a position on a team and have done pretty well. Okay. And most of my picks here will probably be on not as great teams just because we tend to talk about the good teams more so it's more likely to have overlooked players on not so good teams but this actually is a very good team Astros center fielders okay Astros center fielders have been very productive this year and that came as as a surprise to me because coming into this year I think that was seen as sort of their weak spot, maybe even their Achilles heel, because George Springer left and they didn't really replace him with anyone prominent. They just kind of kept Miles Straw around and there was a lot of doubt about whether Miles Straw could hit in the major leagues. And then they traded Miles Straw at midseason, but both Straw and the players who have replaced him or split time with him, they've all been good. And Astro center fielders as a unit have produced 3.9 war this year, which actually ranks fourth among all center field units in MLB this year. And, you know, you could look at the top of that list and Cedric Mullins is at the top. The Orioles have had the most productive center fielders this year. Didn't see that coming, but we have talked about Cedric Mullins. Maybe not enough this year, but he has come up. But the Astros center fielders, Miles Straw, Chaz McCormick, Jake Myers, <laughs> they are the three guys who have produced almost all of that playing time, and they've all been good, and that surprises me. Miles Straw was expected to be good at defense, and he was very good at defense, and he's been like a three-win player this year, and yeah. he has hit even better since they traded him to Cleveland at the deadline, and I was sort of surprised that they traded him to Cleveland because it's like, who's going to replace him? Well, apparently Chaz McCormick and Jake Myers and... They have both been really good this year. Chaz McCormick has a, well, only a 107 OPS plus, but, you know, with a decent defense and and base running and all of that. And so he has uh, like, you know, more than a, a win's worth of value in 255 plate appearances. And then Jake Myers, he has been good too. He has a 120 OPS plus in about 100 plate appearances. And those guys combined have, I mean, they've outperformed George Springer, I guess, who yeah. has not been, Just been as, hurt. As, yeah, right. So it's weird how that works out. And they've also gotten four games from Kyle Tucker in center field. And 
I don't want to steal one of your picks if Kyle Tucker was going to be one of your picks, but I thought about making Kyle Tucker a pick of mine before I came up with this unit of center fielders because Kyle Tucker's been great. Yeah. And he has actually been the Astros' best hitter this year. It has not been Bregman or Altuve or even Correa or Jordan Alvarez or anyone. It's been Kyle Tucker and he has mostly played right field, but he has been great. And and I didn't really recognize how great he has been with like a 149 WRC plus. And that lineup is not a young lineup, but he's 24. Alvarez is 24. Like they're two of the younger members there and he has totally blossomed and he was obviously a top prospect, but there was some doubt about him because his initial call up did not go well at all. And then it seemed like maybe they weren't fully trusting him with the starting job a few years ago, but he has turned it around and, and turned into the type of player that they hoped he would be. Okay. I think that's a good pick on its own, and it also makes me feel better about the list that I compiled. So okay. it's a really excellent pick. <laughs> okay. I'm going to take with my first pick, Omar Narvaez. Oh, yeah. it's a good one. Yeah. Because you know what, Ben? Omar Narvaez is having a good little year. Yeah. So, you know, he, he doesn't show up. If you're looking at the Fangraphs leaderboards by catcher, he's not going to show up on the qualified list because he only has 391 plate appearances, so he's below the qualified threshold. But he's he has almost a three and a half win season going for him. He has a 113 WRC plus, but I think the most, I continue to be fascinated by guys like Omar Narvaez who, and granted, like I'm sure there's a little bit of noise in the data, but who have like really wild swings between times in their careers where they have been just atrociously bad pitch framers and then times in their careers where they've been good pitch framers, right? So Mm -hmm. when Narvaez was with the White Sox in 2018 and then again with the Mariners in 2019, by our metrics, like he was 10 to negative 10 framing runs. Mm -hmm. Like it was quite bad. And and he has been a good framer. He was okay uh with with Milwaukee last year and has been has been good with Milwaukee this year. And so you look at the catcher leaderboards and it's like, you know, we have Will Smith, who no one is surprised is good because he is good. And then we have Buster Posey, who we are surprised is this good, but who we have talked about a lot over the course of the season. So he does not qualify as far as I'm concerned. And then you have someone like Real Muto. And then I might skip four because I am deciding if I'm going to take him later. And then you have Omar Narvaez. So mm-hmm. I'm taking Omar Narvaez, who um, has just been having a, a good season on like what will be a playoff team that is potentially situated for a really deep run, given yep. you know a newly potent offense and a really good pitching staff. So Omar Narvaez, you're yeah. having it. You're having a good year, Omar. Well done. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good one. And obviously that's a great pitching staff, but so he much deserves better. at least a little credit for that. So yeah. Can I tell you about a new Twitter account that I just discovered? It it's new this month. Yes. My latest follow at MLB Frame Jobs. <gasps> this was uh brought to my attention by RJ Anderson earlier today. Oh, it's just an this. account that uh it's basically like the ump scorecards account that okay. we talked about earlier this year, except it's for catchers. And it's basically like, you know, who had the best day as a, a framer that day and who had the most lost or or gained strikes. And then there's a, a website, like a, an app that goes along with it where there's more data. So you can sort of see like on any given day, you know, who got the most uh, extra strikes that day and where and break it down by location and all of that. It, it doesn't have 
video integration yet, which I think would be nice because you can't always tell, like, was this a good frame job or was it just a bad call? Because sometimes it's a combination of both or sometimes it's one or the other. But this is pretty useful. I think you can look like over a, a date range or a specific date or a specific game or specific catcher and it shows you where they got the called strikes or or where there were balls and you know did they get them inside or outside or or did they lose calls in the zone gain calls outside the zone so little plug it seems like a twitter account that is very much up our alley I am happy to see that they follow me on Twitter. Now I have to follow them back. I feel like my framing reputation precedes me. But I do have to say it's a little embarrassing that we didn't do this. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I don't know if we have the technical know-how to be able to do this, but we can certainly appreciate it. Yeah, that's true. And and we sure do. Followed you back, MLB Frame Jobs. Look forward to seeing more. Yes, it is operated by Alex Da Silva, who has his own Twitter account as well. So recommend this at MLB Frame Jobs. So yeah, that's a good one. And all right, while we're on the subject of the Brewers, I had Brewers on my list too. And this was also a little bit of a cheat, but not as big a cheat as my Astros pick. So I want to take the back of the Brewers rotation because- Everyone talks about the top of the Brewers rotation, and with good reason. Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, Brandon Woodruff, those guys have been incredible. That's as good a, a top three as you'll find. But they are not the only reasons why the Brewers are leading the major leagues in starting pitching war this year. The back of the rotation, pretty darn good too. Eric Lauer has been really good. Adrian Hauser has been really good. Those two guys, like Lauer, in the second half of the season, if you look at Brewers starters by war, it goes Corbin Burns and then Eric Lauer, who has had a better second half by war than Freddie Peralta or Brandon Woodruff. And then Adrian Hauser's not far behind. And Brett Anderson is not far behind either. I mean, basically top to bottom. Everyone in that rotation has been good. (laughs) So obviously the top three get the headlines as well they should, but the Brewers have kind of like taken it easy with those guys in the second half. Again, understandably, because they're all like at or or past their single season highs for innings and the Brewers hope to make a deep run into October. So of course they're going easy on those guys and giving them rest, but they have a, a big lead in that division. They can afford to do that, but they can also afford to do it because pretty much anyone they're given the ball on any given day is going to be good. So Eric Lauer and Adrian Hauser, check out what those guys are doing too. <laughs> they're overshadowed for a good reason, yeah. but on any other team or most other teams, they would be getting more attention, I think, for what they've done in that rotation. Um, see, the fact that you're you're taking whole units yeah. <laughs> is making me... It's probably the last time I will do that. But yeah. A little nervous, though, and it's going to affect my strategy here in a way that I don't think that I am misremembering how often we have talked about this. I know we talked about it around the deadline. So it has not been completely unremarked upon, and we have certainly been curious about sort of the clutchness of this team as a whole, but I'm going to follow your lead, Ben, mm-hmm. and I'm going to take the Mariners' bullpen. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ben, have you been paying attention to the Mariners' bullpen? <laughs> I had at least one member of the Mariners' bullpen on my list, Paul Seawald. Paul but, Se- yeah. Yes, so Paul Seawald was the individual member. And then I was like, 
I should put Drew Streckenreiter on here yeah. too. And then I thought, I'll just take the whole unit. And some of you out there are going to say, well, Meg, isn't some significant part of where they rank on the Fangraphs war leaderboard as a unit, Kendall Graveman, who was famously traded away at the deadline? And I'd say to you, like, you're not wrong. But also, uh, on the season, Seattle's bullpen ranks second mm-hmm. <laughs> in the bullpen <laughs> war at yep. Fangraphs. That seems... Really surprising. That's not what anyone expected. And of course, bullpens are finicky. But like, if you had told me that Seattle would end up with a better bullpen on the season than, say, the Yankees, I would have said you're a liar. And mm-hmm. and so then you're like, well, but Meg, our question was, isn't a big part of that Kendall Graveman? And I'm here to tell you the following, which is that if you look at the second half split for relievers, uh, Seattle's bullpen is is fifth. They're yep. they're they're fifth. They're still. Quite good and still improbably ahead of the Yankees and the Dodgers, which is just delightful. Tampa is just going to destroy everyone with that bullpen. But as Kevin Goldstein wrote for us earlier today, they are going to need to, but they seem well positioned. Anyway, I just, um, I love bullpens and I love relievers because I think that we know so much. You know, we know so much about baseball. We know so much more than we did 10 years ago. We know so much more than we did like two years ago. And it can feel predictable and at times stayed. But this whole exercise, I think, is proof that we are often surprised by things. And where where better to be surprised than than in a bullpen because relievers are such volatile and finicky creatures on average. But this, this Mariners team is getting good contributions from like Casey Sadler, new dad Casey Sadler. Congratulations, Casey <laughs> Sadler. And Paul Seawald, and I've never been able to say Anthony Mishmish's last name correctly. And so, Anthony, I, you have my apologies. Savage, I think, right? Okay, I think it is. cool. That's more of a name than what I just did. And, like, again, like Drew Streckenreiter. So, I, I'm taking Seattle's bullpen. I'm yeah. feeling so much better about this draft now. I was really nervous coming in because drafts were so fun. But as we have seen, sometimes you scoop a pick from me and then the yes. whole exercise falls <laughs> apart really rapidly. So I think you're adding an R to, to Steckenrider, right? Steckenrider? Stecken. Oh, think you're so. right. Oh, but, gosh. But that's the thing. Like we're drafting players here Stecken whose names Rider. people don't know or I don't know how to pronounce. Like, I really thought it was Streckenrider. Steckenrider. Yeah. I think those those both sound like names. Those both yeah. sound like human names. <laughs> yeah. Seawald is like, that's incredible to me. Yeah. He's been getting some saves in Graveman's absence, but he came into this year having thrown 147 and a third career innings yep. all out of the bullpen. So yep. he's not like some failed starter who just moved to the pen and now he's throwing harder or something. He's been a reliever all along. Yep. He had a 5.5 ERA entering the season yep. with the Mets. <laughs> of sure. course. Now, he did have better peripherals and like a 4.04 FIP in that span. So maybe he was a good buy low candidate, but this is ridiculous. So <laughs> he's made some changes. I know there was a, a Fangraphs post about him a couple of weeks ago, like about the the angle of approach of yes. his fastball. Uh, apparently, it reaches the plate at a very steep angle that makes it hard to hit, almost like a, a sinker sort of. And so he's made some tweaks there and his he's, control has been pretty good. And yeah, you know, he's just, he's good. Yeah, he's throwing his slider a bunch more. He's basically eliminated his changeup. So there's been some repertoire changes. Um, I know that the the folks that look at landing have been on the seawall to beat from very mm-hmm. early on. So um, yeah. go go make sure to check out their stuff too because it's been quite good. But yeah, he's just been this 
very pleasant revelation. And uh, you hate to get attached to those in the bullpen because, again, famously yeah. fickle. But um, it has been quite necessary for Seattle, and um, he has really risen to the occasion. So yeah. the Mariners' bullpen. Yep, that's a good pick. Just like we all expected going into the year. (laughs) Seabob's 31, too. And uh, yeah, this has happened (laughs) unexpectedly. The Mariners' pen could go worst to first war-wise, or I guess they were basically like tied with the Marlins' pen last year for worst. They were the worst in the American League. And yeah, I mean, they may not be able to catch up with, with the Rays this year, but... They're in the running, which is, I mean, that's a a good way to exceed expectations the way the Mariners have. Like, be very clutch and win a lot of one-run games and have your bullpen just be completely remade on the fly. Yeah. (laughs) That can happen sometimes. All right. Well, you talked about the Rays pen there briefly. I will take a Rays reliever and... This is probably the last time that we would have an opportunity to talk about him because I believe he is out for the year, unfortunately, now. Jeffrey Springs is a raised reliever this year, and I would imagine a lot of our listeners are saying, who? And there is always someone in the raised pen who makes you say, who? And yet is really good. And if you sort... By strikeout minus walk rate this year among relievers with a minimum of 40 innings pitched... Jeffrey Springs is number nine. Matt Whistler of the Rays is 10th. So there are other good Rays in that bullpen. Of course, Paul Seawald is fifth. You know, it's like Hendricks, okay. Kimbrell, okay. Russell Iglesias, sure. Josh Hader, sure. Then you get to Paul Seawald. And a few spots down that list, you get to Jeffrey Springs, who has an ACL injury. And so I, I think he is now done for the year. So you will not be seeing him as part of that playoff mix. But it's incredible because great as Jeffrey Springs has been, like he was not even a high leverage part of that pen. <laughs> like right. if you sort raise relievers this year, minimum 30 innings pitched, he was sixth out of seven in average leverage index. So like Jeffrey Springs is, you know, he's like the mop-up man almost in the Rays pen. And he is a top 10 strikeout minus walk rate among all relievers this year. And he is just like the quintessential came out of nowhere, got some scrub from some other team. And then he goes to the Rays and he is an incredible reliever. And Maybe it's only for a single season. Maybe it doesn't last, but they just find these guys year after year, and I don't know how they do it exactly. He is someone who was on the Red Sox last year, and he had a 7 ERA in just 20 games, and you know he struck out a lot of guys. His peripherals were a lot better, but he came into this year... Again, you know, with 84 and two-thirds career innings pitched, 5.42 ERA. I mean, basically a Seawald. And he had a a 3.43 ERA this year before he got hurt. He struck out 63 batters in his 44 and two-thirds innings pitch, only walked 14. I mean, he was just having an incredible season, and he was just another guy in that pen They traded for him in February from the Red Sox. They traded catching prospect Ronaldo Hernandez to the Red Sox with Nick Sokard for 
Springs and another reliever, Chris Mazza, who has not been great. But Springs, I mean, getting him from a, a division rival and then he becomes part of baseball's best bullpen. And part of the reason why the Rays are leading all teams in bullpen war is just that they have more innings from relievers right. just because they basically don't have a rotation anymore. Yeah, you just know? really don't have a rotation. <laughs> Outside of maybe Shane McClanahan, it's like, who's their starter? I don't know. You know, they're all just kind of pitchers at this point. It's tough to put labels on them, but... Jeffrey Springs. And, you know, as you said, like, lookout landing people were on Paul Seawald. Yep. There was a, a D-Rays Bay post by Brian Menendez from February where he said Jeffrey Springs could be a weapon for the 2020 run Rays. And he went through some of the individual pitches that he throws well and, and some of the peripherals and, you know, justified, okay, why did the Rays get this guy? Although it's a little different to write that post after the fact, like after the Rays get the guy, because once the Rays get the guy, then you figured, oh, okay, he's going to be good. Now we have to look for reasons why, <laughs> like, what did they see in him? You know, it's a little tougher to do that when you're just looking at someone who had a 70 RA in 20 innings and is not on the Rays yet. But there were reasons to think he could be good. And indeed, he was good. So that's the raise for you. And, you know, often they pick up these guys. They're they're not making much money. Paul Seawald, I believe, is making the major league minimum or right around there. Yeah, so I think that's right. It's, you know, when you can get like a, a great late inning guy part-time closer for the league minimum that's uh obviously something the rays want to do and any team would be happy to do so yeah i figured we would have a, a couple you know 40 50 inning perhaps flashes in the pan or perhaps not but they've been great this year where do i want to go next ben where do i want to go what direction I should I take? I'm going to say that mine. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to say? You know who's having a pretty okay little year? Adam Wainwright. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Adam Wainwright is 39. Did you know mm -hmm. that Adam Wainwright is 39? He is 40. Actually, oh, yeah, he, he had 40. his birthday. That's yeah. right. He's an end of August guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Adam Wainwright. Yeah, <laughs> he's been really a, good. Yeah, I don't know if I have a ton more to say about that that folks can't check out in the piece that uh, Ben Clemens wrote about yes. Wainwright at the the end of August, maybe mm -hmm. right around when his birthday was. But like, uh, you know, his sinker's effective. He's striking out some more guys. I don't know. He's just he's Adam Wainwright and he's old. So. <laughs> yeah, he and Molina just had their three hundredth start together yeah. as a battery. And he said he wants to be back in 2022, and Molina is already signed to be back next year, so they will hopefully extend that total. And yeah, while you were away, Ben Clemens was on, and, and we did talk a bit about Wainwright, so yeah, there was right. that. But, but prior to that, we really had not talked about him Does much that this count? year. And, I can make a different pick if you feel like that yeah, counts. No, I, I have not talked about him with you on the podcast yeah. this year, as far as I recall, really. So, so yeah, that counts, and yeah. uh, he deserves to be talked about. He's been great. Yeah, Adam Wainwright. Man. All right. I will take Austin Riley. Oh, fair. Yeah, Braves. yeah. He has been the best player on the Braves this year, yeah. I think. I mean, going by war, and obviously Acuna's been out, and Soroka's been out, and Ian Anderson has missed time, and other guys have missed time, and Ozuna has not played for them much, and on and on. Like, they have lost a lot of guys they were counting on. 
but that just makes it even more important that Austin Riley has stepped up and he was not an all-star or anything, but he has totally turned it on. He's hitting 301, 373, 531 with 29 homers in 565 plate appearances. He has been a mainstay in that lineup and in the field at third base. And he is someone who, when he came up in 2019, he sort of, you know, he was a prospect and he caused a little bit of a stir initially. Like he he came out of the gate quickly and he was raking for a while and then the league seemed to adjust perhaps and he did not adjust back right away and he was sort of struggling. And last year, he did not hit particularly well in the small sample season. He was a below average hitter. But this year, he's come back and he's played like an absolute star at a time when they really, really needed someone to do that. So he's kind of, I I guess you could put him in the the post-hype sleeper category because, you know, former first-round pick and, and prominent prospect. But didn't pan out immediately, but it has really panned out all of a sudden this season and, and they've needed it. Yeah. It's really amazing how they have managed to just remake their offense in light of their injuries. Yeah. You know, we've talked about that some, but it's really incredible. We could we could probably have Adam Duval on this list. Yeah. He certainly fits the bill. So yeah, I think that's a really good pick. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll stay in the Braves area, but not go with Adam Duval. And I'm gonna I'm going to take Dansby Swanson. Oh, he's yeah. sort of a similar, he's sort of in that similar mold. You know, we we were always going to view Swanson in, in the context of the, the blockbuster trade that brought him mm-hmm. to Atlanta. And, you know, he's he was like, fine. And then he was at times kind of underwhelming, but he's been worth like over three wins and he's hit 26 home runs. And mm-hmm. he's been defensively valuable for them. He's like walking a little less, but also striking out a little bit less and definitely hitting for, for a bit more thump. So yeah, Dansby mm-hmm. Swanson. I don't know. How, how many of these are we doing? Should I say more about Dansby Swanson or should we like take the short ones where we can get them? Yeah, we're doing all right. <laughs> yeah. Our plan was like eight rounds. We'll see where we end up. But and I, I think, think I said wowzers. Like so yeah. I think I said wowzers when you, um, when, yes. you, <laughs> when you told me that many because yeah. wowzers. So yeah. Well, we'll see what we get to, but yeah, yeah. I will take Ty France of ah, the Mariners. No, sorry to steal one from That's you, okay. but but yeah, Ty France. Now he is someone who was good last year too, but there was some question about whether that would continue, right? And right. I remember, I think when we did our Mariners season preview segment, that was a question like Ty yeah. France is he actually good? Could he keep doing that? And he has kept doing that and he has done it in a way that maybe gives you even more confidence that he can keep doing it because he had a 390 BABIP last year when he had a 132 WRC+. Plus. This year he has basically the same WRC+, plus 128, but with a 330 BABIP. So he's lost 60 points of batting average on balls in play, and yet he has been really good regardless. And he's hit 291, 362, 447. He has hit 16 homers in 555 plate appearances. He is also leading the major leagues in times hit by pitch. He has been hit by a lot of pitches this year. He's been hit by 22 I believe, 22 times. And that's also interesting because we talked recently about Austin Adams, the Padres reliever, who is like on a historic hit-by-pitch pace. And these two guys were traded for each other 
among others, it was a bigger trade, but Ty France and Austin Adams were part of that Padres Mariners exchange last year. And now Austin Adams leading the major leagues in hitting batters and Ty France leading the majors in being hit by pitches. So that will give you a nice OBP boost. So I don't know if that is a a skill or not. It, It doesn't seem like he was getting plunked at nearly the same rate in past seasons. So maybe that is not quite so sustainable and maybe he hopes it's not so sustainable because it probably hurts sometimes but he has been good he's just been a a good solid contributor to that offense and you know he is a, a 34th round pick from 2015 with the Padres so to make the majors at all as a 34th round pick is pretty impressive and to be as good as he's been is even more impressive he's he's been like a three four win player depending on your win metric Yeah, that's a good pick. He was on my list. He's exciting because, you know, there was there was like a chance that whoever sort of filled in for Evan White was going to make Mariners fans feel like he was a good first baseman because Evan White has just had such an injured and bad year. But like Ty France is legitimately quite fun. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's that's pretty cool, Uh, even even absent the the contrast. So that's a good pick. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to take Jorge Polanco. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. You know what, Ben? Jorge Blanco, having a good year. Worth worth <laughs> 4.1 wins per Fangraphs War. 129 WRC+. Plus. <laughs> He's got a 129 WRC+. Plus. So he, you might remember, was injured. He had a an ankle injury, and he was pretty compromised by it. Like his, uh, his ISO last year was 0.096. That's not mm, very good. No. And he hit four home runs. Granted, it was the, the short season, but he was just clearly quite compromised. And uh, he seems to be back to full health. He has hit 27 home runs. And the, the contrast between last year and this year is particularly stark when you look at his lefty split. You know, he's a, he's a switch hitter, but things have improved for him pretty dramatically compared to last year. Like his barrel rate went from 4% to 9.1%. And his hard hit rate went up. He went from 32 to 37. His exit velos are up. This is true uh, across the board, but it's particularly stark when you look at him hitting from the left side. And he gave uh, he gave uh, Twins fans some fun and excitement by just doing like a bunch of walk offs. <laughs> yeah. He did he did three he did three walk offs yeah. in a row. And He's so among the WPA win probability yes. added leaders, if not the WPA leader. Yeah. And uh, he was the first player with a walk-off RBI and three straight team wins since David Ortiz in the 2004 playoffs and the Mm. first in the regular season since Tony Pena in uh, June of 1982. So Mm. in a year that has been a disappointment and pretty underwhelming for the the Twins and their fans, I I think they have to be pretty excited that he looks uh, like he is back on track. Because, you know, he'd had that, like, really great 2019, and everyone was so excited. And then with the injury and stuff, he was he was quite poor last year so mm-hmm. yeah Jorge Polanco yeah that's a good one man I'm just still looking at the the Rays bullpen because they have like they have basically a whole bullpen on the injured list yeah <laughs> and, and Jeffrey they Springs have, like, is 11 is one guys of those. yeah or something and, like that and yet they also like just I'm just it's unbelievable like Andrew Kittredge has a 1.07 ERA in 58 and two-thirds innings pitch. Wow. Hunter Strickland has a 1.69 ERA. 
JT, how do you say? <laughs> I forget. Chagua, uh, I Chagua? believe. Yes, uh, 1.69 ERA. Colin McHugh, 1.74 ERA. Adam Conley, 2.03 ERA. Whistler has a 2.3 ERA. JP Fireisen, is that how you say it? I don't even know. The I don't guy know. They, they got from the Brewers. I'm he not has sure. a Fireisen. It's like unbelievable. It's just yeah. like so many guys. Lewis Head. 2.36 Ryan Thompson 2.38 Yarbrough 2.52 I'm like I'm going 12 names deep here with sub three ERAs and not all of these guys have been full-time members of the bullpen but still unbelievable Jeffrey Springs who I mentioned 3.43 ERA he is like 13th on the list of race relievers with at least 10 innings pitched in ERA it's just unbelievable so much depth okay so I will take I don't know if this guy is a bit too prominent maybe I'm, I'm sure we've mentioned him at some point but Sandy Alcantara is just awesome (laughs) um i want to mention him just because he he can't be mentioned enough probably and he's leading the major leagues in games started this year and he is coming off a really excellent one he just pitched a a complete game against the mets or, or nine innings and you know gave up one run and walked one and 14 strikeouts and There are a lot of guys that you could single out in this Marlins rotation, and Trevor Rogers has been good, and Pablo Lopez has been good, and and lots of promising young players. We've talked about that, but Sandy Alcantara, if he is not getting his due, I don't know whether he is or not, but it would be because he's on the Marlins, a team that's out of contention. And and I know that we don't pay much attention to win-loss record anymore, but he's 8-13 this year. Despite having, I think, like one of the top 20 starting pitcher wars, I believe he is 3.5 fan graphs were this year. And that is a, a direct reflection of the fact that he has the lowest run support of any pitcher who has made at least 20 starts this year. 3.1 runs of support. So the Marlins hitters are not helping him out. I guess they're not really helping anyone out all that no. much, but especially Sandy Alcantara. And so he has been... In a lot of games like that where he will keep the Marlins in the game and he'll pitch a gem and then he will not be the pitcher of record or he'll not be the the winning pitcher. So I just wanted to salute Sandy Alcantara because he's not getting the W's and as a member of the Marlins rotation, he's probably not getting the headlines either. But he is uh, 26. He just turned 26 this week, Tuesday, I believe. So happy birthday, Sandy Alcantara. I hope it was a happy one and that you were celebrating your recent brilliant start and your brilliant season as a whole. Okay, I have one and you have to tell me off the bat if it's cheating. And also, okay. I'm realizing this is an exercise in me remembering like our own podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cuz I don't I don't remember if we've talked about this. Okay. Um, and he definitely was an all-star, I think, although he was not there like the rest of his teammates. He was not present in Denver. Is Jose Altuve a cheat? I mean, wow. Isn't that a question? <laughs> Leave it in. Great. Oh, no. Oh, there are a lot of ways oh, we could answer no. that question. He's uh, not one of the big bangers on that team. Does but, he? Uh, <laughs> oh, my. He's a famous player. That's but, quite a Freudian slip. Yeah. He's... <laughs> 
I don't think we've talked about him this year. I don't think Not we've really. really talked about him. No. I'm sure that he has been talked about and remarked upon more generally. I can't believe I did that. Well, that was delightful. <laughs> but, you know, he was sort of famously not very good last year. And I think that there were some very obvious narratives one could point to uh, to suggest why that might have been the case. But his numbers have rebounded in 2021. And he's he's hitting really well in the heart of the zone and just being sort of more selective, but not passive. So while he's not quite getting at everything in crazy parts of the strike zone or outside it like he used to, it's just he has been quite good this year, an all-star and a, and a deserving one. And at a time when, you know, the, the Astros really needed that, right? They've had other members of their offense sort of either underperform or be, be injured for long stretches this season. And then there's Altuve. And I know Dan wrote about Altuve for us a little while ago, and he pointed out a thing that had been one of the reasons that I really enjoyed watching Altuve over the years, and then it just completely disappeared for him in 2020, which is that he had sort of long been one of the best bad ball hitters in the majors, mm-hmm. right? It seemed like there wasn't a there wasn't a safe pitch to throw to him in terms of where he could do damage and that just like completely evaporated for him in 2020 right he was he was bad in the middle of the zone but then he was also bad in all the other places and that has rebounded pretty dramatically for him in 2021 and so i know that there are are jokes to be had and freudian <laughs> slips to be made but the the rebound that he has in, enjoyed this season is pretty uh phenomenal he went you know in the the year in 2019, he was a 139 WRC plus hitter. He he dipped all the way to 77 in last year's shortened campaign. He's back up to 129 this year. He's, you know, his BABIP has rebounded. He is uh, walking more and striking out less. He's hitting for more power. He's back up to 27 home runs after only hitting five long balls during the regular mm-hmm. season last year. And so I... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was great. I love drafts. Drafts are yeah. some of our best episodes. We couldn't yep. do it every time because it would it would get boring and it would wear. But boy, they're they're fun to prep for. They're fun mm-hmm. to do. I hope that people enjoy listening to them. But if people don't think that it is going against the spirit of the exercise, I'm going to pick Altuve. Yep, that's fine for me. Yeah, and he even took his shirt off this year, and we saw his tattoo and everything, and it wasn't a great tattoo, but it wasn't so unsightly either. No. Anyway, it's been a big year for Jose Altuve. Been a a year. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. All right. I will take a tiger, and maybe I'll take two tigers if I can get away with it. Oh, boy. One tiger is Jamer Candelario. I always have to make sure that I'm pronouncing that correctly because I I always worry that I'm like one of those old announcers who would call like all the Jorge's Georgie or whatever. And I always think, is it Heimer? Is it Jamer? No, it is Jamer. And I will know that now because he is having quite a good season and he had a good season last year too. And so, you know, we talked about Akil Badu and we've talked about some of the young Tigers starters who have come together to make that team more fun to watch. But Condelario, who has been their regular third baseman this year, he has hit pretty well. He's got a, a 122 OPS plus, and he is leading the major leagues in doubles. Who knew? Yeah. Condelario is, is leading the major leagues with 39 doubles. And he hit even better last year, actually, in the small sample season, 206 plate appearances. He had an 872 OPS. That was a 137 OPS plus. So he's turned into 
quite a good player after breaking in with the Cubs back in 2016 and, you know, not setting the world on fire with them or with the Tigers, really. But he has turned into, you know, I, I don't know if you'd call him a, a building block or not. He was part of that deadline trade in 2017 with the Cubs, Isaac Paredes for Alex Avila and Justin Wilson. And uh, also he was traded from the Cubs to the Tigers with Paredes and he has kind of blossomed for the Tigers. And, you know, the question has been like, where are their hitters going to come from? They've got all these good pitching prospects and I know they've made more of an effort to equalize things in the farm, but Candelario is, is helping, you know, between him and, and Badu and another player I kind of was considering taking Robbie Grossman, like they've been a bit more competent and a bit more fun to watch on offense in addition to the occasional historic highlight from Miguel Cabrera. So yeah, Jamer Candelario, who is uh, 27 years old, but has kind of become a cornerstone of this Tigers team and seems like he'll be around when the Tigers get good again, which could be like next year. I mean, they're already pretty good and he seems like someone they can count on. And, you know, Grossman, I won't spend as much time on, a, a former Astros outfielder. And he was someone who never really hit for much power, sort of like Miles Straw. But last year, he suddenly hit for a lot of power. He had a 241 ISO. And I remember when we did our Tiger season preview segment, I asked, like, are they expecting Robbie Grossman to continue to hit for power? And I think the answer was like, "Eh, not really. I mean, maybe a little bit, but he has continued to hit for power. He has 22 home runs this year. Robbie Grossman. Robbie Grossman. See that coming at all. (laughs) So, I mean, That was just not really in his skill set, and he's long been a patient player. He takes tons of walks, and when I was doing my article earlier this week on Juan Soto and his shuffle after taking pitches and just how incredibly selective he's been, like Robbie Grossman was coming up on a lot of the same leaderboards as Juan Soto in terms of like chase rate and value coming from taking pitches in the chase region and waste region and all of that. Like he's he's solid, you know, 358 on base percentage despite not having a very high average and hitting for power and, and everything. So yeah, Robbie Grossman, Jamer Candelario. So those are your final two. I guess. I guess. So hmm. I have to do two more. I've got others I can chip in as honorable mentions, but we can do a little lightning round Let's if you have see. anyone left on your board. Well, I have a couple. Again, I worry that these are too prominent, but we'll see. How much have we talked about Wade Miley? Apart from saying, what's going on with Wade Miley? <laughs> yeah, he's he's another guy who came up when Ben was on to talk about Wainwright, but <sighs> prior to that. To, I didn't <laughs> listen to that one. I'm sorry. I know that I'm supposed to listen to them even when I'm on vacation, but I didn't, Ben. I didn't do it. I was on vacation. Okay. <sighs> oh, no. How have I run out? I had more guys. I'm taking Salvador Perez. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can take I'm it. cheating. It's a little bit of a cheat, but it's not a terrible one. <laughs> so we have Salvi. That seems mm-hmm. good. And then um, and then Wade Miley there. Yeah, yeah. Wade Miley definitely deserves to be discussed. <laughs> so It's still so perplexing to me. It's really, uh, I mean, like some of this is that he, he uh, participates and engages in a volume business. You know, he throws mm-hmm. innings and yep. that's useful for the Reds. But Wade Miley, you know, yeah. <laughs> do you know? Yeah. 
he just he throws a lot of pitches outside the strike zone. And yeah, he's uh, throwing his his cutter a lot more. I mean, just he's throwing that cutter, it's, throwing it's that cutter. Working. Yeah, <laughs> I did not see this coming, but it's no. working for him. So, let's see some other guys I had on my board. I can just list off here. Dylan Cease, I, sure. I wanted to mention, because uh, the White Sox are leading the American League in starting pitcher war, and a lot of that is guys who've gotten plenty of attention, whether it's Giolito or Rodon or Lance Lynn, but Dylan Cease has been really excellent too, and I will just uh, give Dan Samborski some recognition, because Cease was on his list of breakout pitchers this year, and he was someone who, like, I think Dan and, and Zips said should have had more strikeouts last year than he did, but yes. he has, like, totally turned his peripherals around, and he was someone who was not striking out many more guys than he walked, and now he is definitely doing that. So that's kind of like, you know, I wanted to shout out the back of the Brewers rotation, back of the White Sox rotation, too, Dylan Cease, who, who was a, a prospect in his own right, but has been kind of overshadowed, and he's been excellent as well. Yeah. And who else? You know, like uh, like Sean Manaya. Yeah. I kind of thought that Sean, like this, he was on my list because it didn't seem great last year, and it's been it's been better this year. So that's good. I mean, part of it is that he's I don't know, like it's weird because he is walking more guys, so you'd expect mm-hmm. that this would be going worse for him than it is. But yeah. Sean Manaya is on my list. He's also striking more guys out, so that always seems to help. You know, it's like strikeouts. They're useful. (laughs) They are. Who else was on my list who I considered? I mean, like, there are some surprise rookies, like, you know, like Adolis Garcia. You know, like, that's that remains cool and weird mm-hmm. and uh and chris flexen hey let's, yeah right yeah let's let's shout out chris flexen you know because mm-hmm. um we we've already talked about some improbable mariners pitching but we should probably talk about chris flexen too because yeah. i think when he was coming over we were like how's that gonna work <laughs> yeah but it turns out that that the changeup is quite good and um his cutter has been good also and it has allowed him to be like a you know like a guy not a yeah. great not a great guy i mean i don't know what he's like as a person he might be a really great guy as a person but like he's mm-hmm. you know he's not lighting the world on fire but like he has a three five six era and a fifth yeah. that's not much higher than that and yeah it's not strike really anyone out but he mm-hmm. doesn't really give up home runs either and you mm-hmm. know he's eating innings for the mariners which was kind of the idea but i don't know that they necessarily expected them to go as these ones have so chris flexen yeah. Should yeah. be on our list. It's a good one. Yeah, I got the idea to do this draft because I was listening to the podcast yesterday with Joe Poznanski and Mike Sure, and they were talking about the White Sox, and they were listing off White Sox who've had great seasons. And yeah. like the fourth name that they listed was Adam Engel. And I was yeah. like, wait, Adam Engel? Really? You're listing him yeah. <laughs> that early? But no, Adam Engel has yeah. been really good. I mean, only 33 games and 121 sure. appearances, but he's hit really well after hitting quite well last year in a small sample too. But that's a good example of... Of like, oh, Adam Engel, yeah, kind of overshadowed. I had not even realized that Luis Robert has been as good as he has since yeah. he came back. I mean, yeah. he has been unbelievable. He is yeah. hitting 333, 370, yep. 528. Yep. <laughs> so clearly that injury did not take any kind of toll. Nope. And he's still like swinging at everything, but weirdly also making contact more regardless. He's he's just been unbelievable. So yeah. And uh, who else did I have on my list? Yuli Gurriel, I wanted yeah. to mention. Because like, I thought like he might be done. I mean, you know, he's getting up there in years. He's 
37 years old and he did not hit at all last year and he resigned with the Astros really early like just didn't even test the market and can't imagine that the market would have been all that strong but he's having like a career year offensively he's hitting 312 and on basing 383 with some pop like he has been phenomenal and he is uh walking almost as much as he strikes out so he's been a great component of that excellent Astros offense as well who else? Mitch Garver on the Twins having another good year. Oh, Fran sure. Franmil Reyes on the Guardians. He's been very good. Jonathan India with the Reds. Oh, yeah. Excellent season as well. Teoscar Hernandez yeah, on the Blue Jays. He's having Tony, quite, quite Tony a year. Kemp with Tony the A's. Tony Kemp. Yeah, Tony Kemp. Really good year. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, Tony Kemp. Jordan Montgomery with the Yankees. It's yes. hard for a, a Yankee to be underrated, but yeah. I feel like Jordan Montgomery kind of is. And uh, and Cal Quantrill, again, with Cleveland. He's been excellent. And I guess the last guy I had was Eduardo Rodriguez with the Red Sox, who has like a five-plus ERA, so would not be an obvious choice. But his peripherals are, are really good. Like his FIP and everything is, is old Eduardo Rodriguez. So I did want to acknowledge that he is still doing some things. It's just having a low Babbitt is not one of them. Did you know that Cody Bellinger's WRC Plus is down to 47? Oh, boy. Yeah, he would be on <laughs> if we did the, the reverse of this episode. Yeah, and but that's not would, fun. We don't no, want to do that. that would not but be fun. <laughs> I was just looking at our, you know, um, at the player search to see, oh, is there anyone who's like really popping who people mm-hmm. are searching for who we've forgotten? Right. And then I was like, Cody Bellinger. I was like, that seems yeah. like it's not going <laughs> great. And I knew it wasn't, but I didn't know it was going this badly. 47. That's... Yeah. Oof. Yeah, I, I, he's I, not I, reached I, base in September, I think, or no. at least he's, he's 0 for September, so it's not good. Like, is Cody Bellinger going to make the Dodgers postseason roster? Oof, good question. Yeah. I mean, I probably, but like, you're thinking about it, and yeah. didn't that seem unlikely coming into the mm-hmm. season? Yeah, yep. it seemed unlikely to me. Yeah. Well, wow. Yeah. So there are some guys having good years and um, we haven't talked about all of them, but here we are having talked about some. So yeah. good job, us. We're the best. <laughs> we have. <laughs> we've remembered some guys. We've remembered active, some guys. But, <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, you know, Jose Altuve, who who had even heard of him before today? <laughs> right. Little known player. Yes. So uh, he is a little known player. But... <laughs> <laughs> Got good jokes on the Altuve beat today. So yeah, feel free to to nominate some guys of your own if you think we've continued to overlook anyone. Email us, podcast at fangraphs.com. You can check their Fangraphs page to see if there have been any recent blogs about them or if they've been tagged in any effectively wild show pages. We don't tag every player we mention, only the ones we talk about at length. But if you haven't caught every single episode we've done, you could do a little search just to see if they've come up. But if not, feel free to let us know if we've overlooked anyone. Don't want to snub any players who've been productive so this was a fun exercise glad we did it yeah me too all right pretty good episode about guys who've been pretty good hat tip to john boyce you can support effectively wild on patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectively wild the following five listeners have already signed up and pledged some small monthly amount to help keep the podcast going keep the podcast ad free and get themselves access to some perks luke 
Amelia Newberg, Matthew Foley, Joe Morelli, and Michael Hank. Thanks to all of you. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Effectively Wild. You can rate, review, and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes and Spotify and other podcast platforms. Keep your questions and comments for me and Meg coming via email at podcast.fangrass.com or via the Patreon messaging system if you are a supporter. Thanks to Dylan Higgins for his editing assistance. We will be back with one more episode before the end of this week. Talk to you then. Pretty good.